everyone, and welcome to episode 133 of Fun with Cars, where we're going to talk about the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal. I'm Rob Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and we are on three weeks in a row now, are we not, Ooh. for uh, racing coverage with uh, Monaco and two weeks ago, Detroit Grand Prix last week. And uh, it's Detroit. Uh, yes, it's very French. Uh, and then now, of course, uh, Canadian Grand Prix from Monaco, so we're, we're back to Formula the Canadian 1. Canadian Grand Prix from where? From Monaco, as I said, intending to say Montreal. No, that one's pronounced Montreal. Ah. Yeah. That one's actually got a Midwestern drawl to it, ironically enough. Hmm. Yeah, why am I still talking? I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, where, where, to, where to begin? I guess we had um, the news since last show has all been about uh, the Pirelli, Mercedes, some call it secret, some call it whatever, just this this test, this mid-season test. Yeah, where, I heard you know, it took place in a grotto. What do you know about that? Yeah, that's that's not a thing. Oh. Oh. No, no. Well, that makes it way less interesting So, uh, So this was after... Um, uh, Spain was it? Yeah, Barcelona. Uh, yeah, and they I said thought, everyone. I every, thought it was right before, but yeah, it was around Spain. Yeah, maybe everyone, it was afterwards. Yeah, they said okay, everyone else was packing up and just looking at the Mercedes guys, and the Mercedes guys just weren't packing up, and sort of okay, <laughs> everyone else, you guys are going to miss your flights, and they're like, no, no, it's okay, and everyone else left, and, and so I was thinking about it, and you know, it's it's not you know an F one test is not an easy thing to conceal. I mean, there's not you know it's not like it, it happens indoors. Um, you know, with right. any kind of actual on-track running, obviously you dyno and wind tunnel tests and stuff like that. But I feel like there must have been, you know, anyone anywhere near the circuit would have heard, oh, look, there's an F1 car going around the circuit, <laughs> you know, and I guess you could assume, oh, maybe it's some, you know, media thing or who knows what. I mean, only the, you know, very sharp-eyed observers would know if it's, uh, if it's using real tires or if it's using the, you know, the promo tires or kind of, you know, I guess you could look at the car and see if there's a lot of camera gear around it or whatever. But, um, you know, so the fact that, uh, only recently, you know, this really came out around Monaco, uh, right. on race day in Monaco, that uh, that there had been this, you know, 1,000-kilometer tire test, and that not only that, but that it had been done with 2013 spec cars. Um, so it seems For like, Mercedes, because yeah. that's, the, that's the interesting other bit to me. And it seems like they've largely escaped much of any scrutiny, but Ferrari did this as well. But they used a 2010 or 2011 car somewhere in there. Yeah. They the, uh, purposefully did not use a 2013 car for this test. Yeah, and it's and it's a weird uh, whole debate because uh, as you know, and there's been you know lots of sort of accusations and various thoughts and opinions flying around back and forth. But um, you know, I, I, Ross Braun is not an idiot. I mean, I don't think Mercedes as a company is is boneheaded. Um, I feel like they would sort of. Um, you know, I don't think that they would think, oh, we can we can do this test. And that was what I, what I was getting at with this test. It's not like I don't think they, you know, would have gotten together Pirelli and Mercedes and thinking, oh, we can we can do this test, and no one is going to know about it. <laughs> um, That's the way to stick it to the man, right? So I feel like they would have had to have some interpretation of the rules or something that would have said, okay, this is probably a reasonable test to do, and we're not going to be, you know, I don't think the whole team would have been involved in, you know, violating some massive rule thing. Um, but at the same time, the rules do look pretty clear, so it's a bit of a surprise uh, to see. Okay, well, no, you know, in, te- in season testing, using a car that is sub- substantially similar to the car that's being run in the current championship is forbidden. That right. part of the test is clear. Right. And uh, and I'm talking to uh, Christian Horner at Red Bull, and they said, "Oh yeah, you know, Pirelli asked us if we want to do a test, and we said no. That breaks the rules. So it's this weird kind of dynamic of power between." Um, Pirelli, who's just trying to get some testing so they can, you know, build tires and continue to build better tires. And, you know, they need to do testing to be able to figure out if what they're doing makes sense. And 
the teams who, you know, don't want to shoot themselves in the foot or, you know, be disqualified from the championship or anything crazy. I mean, you have to think they've, you know, they're, they're not idiots there. They have to have thought this through. And then Bernie Ecclestone and Formula One management and then the dynamic between them and the FIA. And it's easy for us to sort of lump them together in some cases to sort of think, oh, this is what the sport, you know, this is the direction of the sport. But sometimes like this, there's this weird division of kind of, well, who is really in charge? So yeah. now the whole thing is it's going to an FIA tribunal which hasn't been done before, and so we'll see how that all pans out and what the decisions are by the tribunal and who follows the decisions and, you know, what the outcomes could possibly be because it's it's a weird thing because it does seem like any team would benefit from in-season testing. I think that's uh, that's pretty much clear, but how much you'd benefit and how directly you could correlate if you're running right. on tires that you don't know what they are right. and your car is maybe the same as what it would be in, in race trim, but it's going to be different for every racetrack anyway, and they've already run at Barcelona, so they're, they're getting right. more data at Barcelona isn't helpful. So it's kind of this weird it's like, is it a help? Well, yes, but it's sort of a gray area of where you draw the lines. And uh, and then and then what would the penalty be? Is it, okay, well, now for the rest of the season, you have five grid spot penalties for whoever you qualify. I mean, that's pretty big. Or is it, is it oh, here's 100,000 euros. Well, fine. It probably right. costs that much to run the test anyway. I mean, it probably costs a couple million bucks to, to run the whole thing. Well, the one that I'm reminded of is when McLaren was fined 100 million euros and uh, was not allowed to participate in the Constructors' Championship anymore. And I believe that was, that was the year that Alonzo was there. That was what? 2007 or something like that. Right. The Stepney Gate, remember? Yep. And in my mind, it's mostly just a shame, and I feel like the real loser in all this is Pirelli because they're just trying to build decent tires, and they're having trouble this year because the tires are doing more or less what they were asked to do, and I think the teams have been whining too much, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, there were a couple of issues revolving around safety, and that obviously changes the tone of the conversation pretty much instantly. So uh, it's it's a difficult one. Eh, Mercedes maybe got a little bit slippery with this one, but at the same time, I don't know. For me, it's pretty easy to say, eh, it happens. Clarify what you want done. Clarify what the tire manufacturer can do, and that would probably sort these things out as much as anything. That's my point of view. Yeah. And it's just, it's weird because, you know, well, for a couple of years there, well, uh, you know, Bridgestone and then Pirelli had their own test car to run. This wasn't an issue because they could, they could have their own drivers, Lucas Degrassi for a while. Right. You know, they had a Toyota, the car that never raced, but at least it was a current spec car, um, you know, three years ago, four years ago. Um, but now since they don't have that, it's now this whole, this weird sort of. Uh, you know, how are we going to test a car for a 2013, a tire for a 2013 car when we don't have a 2013 car and anyone who wants to load us one with a driver is in breach of rules. It's like some, they need to figure out some way of doing this. Agreed. And, uh, and so they are talking about, uh, and this is supposedly, this is on a whole separate track that, um, you know, the FIA has talked about reinstating in-season testing or I- I- expanding in-season testing. Ah, I love um, it. I love their answers sometimes. I mean, that would be great. I actually fully support that, but I do find it funny. Right, the the timing of all these things, I guess, and, and the way they come out. So maybe that that's it, where there's, you know, if we have four tests throughout the year that are just, you know, happen the Monday after a Grand Prix at a couple of the big venues or whatever, and then, you know, for some percentage of those tests, it's like, hey, here, run these new tires and give us your data, uh, then that may be, it's sort of fair for everyone. It's the same, it's the right cards, it's the right drivers. Because, you know, I was thinking about, okay, well, what if they have, you know, oh, Nick Heidfeld comes in and drives whatever car so that Mercedes doesn't get data on it. But then how useful is the test if it's a, car, a driver who's not familiar with the car and he's got to have a special right. seat fit? It's well, like it'd it be doesn't... like, all of a sudden, these tires aren't worn at all. Hardly seems like they're even used. Is this guy going fast enough? Yeah. I'm mean to Nick Heidfeld. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. 
to me, it seems like much ado over nothing, and that the other teams are protesting it as much as anything because they see an opportunity, not because it's really that big of a deal in real life in terms of what they gained in terms of advantage. Maybe a little advantage here or there, but it's not like we came to um, Canada and the uh, Mercedes was much faster than everyone else. They were, ironically enough, very quick in Monaco, but that was also... They've also been very quick in qualifying trim, and Monaco is a very unique place in terms of tire wear, among many other things. And that was a very predictable outcome, considering um, the way their Mercedes performance has been going on so far this season. So, I don't think you can look at the performance and say, oh yeah, clearly Mercedes has gained something here. You know, incrementally, did they gain something? Yeah, probably. It's a little bit more time for their drivers to be in the actual car, if nothing else. But is this going to be the difference between winning the championship and not winning the championship? No, I don't think so. Right, and if if the if it were a Mercedes one two in Canada, maybe you know we would look at that differently and think, okay, wow, this testing really did help them turn a corner right. and discover something. But it was not. So um, yeah, so it is what it is. Uh, so on, so speaking of Canada, so anyway, that's going to be resolved. I think in the next in the coming weeks, um, it's actually a what three week break now until uh, or no two weeks off. Until we come back to England. Yeah, the end of June. Yep. So uh, I think probably between now and then it'll be sorted out. I don't have the, the dates in front uh, of me. But... but spoiler, I think you're going to hear from us sooner than that. I, I can't say that for sure. But Jim and I are big fans of this little little race they hold in France with sports cars. And they just do it all day, all night. You know how it is. So it's One of them things. We'll probably cover that just out of the uh, pure spectacle of it all. Yeah, we'll see how long we can keep up this weekly show streak and come up with something <laughs> to talk about next week. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so in Canada, um, so part part of the tire news was, okay, we're going to run this new spec tire that's enhanced, and it was going to be a big difference. And then they said, oh, no, it can only be a change for safety, so now it's just going to be a little bit of a difference. But uh, practice was, like, wet and dry anyway, so uh-huh. there wasn't a whole lot of useful tire running in Canada anyway. It was sort of a, <laughs> okay, well, this is going to be a big build-up. Finally, we're going to get to get to the bottom of these tires, and, oh, wait, no, we can't. So and it, in a way, you could make the argument, too, that Canada isn't really a real track. And if this were a video podcast, you'd see my hands doing air quotes. But, you know, it's 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 played up as a, it's basically, you know, a few different straights with some chicanes thrown in for good measure. And I think that makes it awesome. But fair enough, it's not exactly it's not a track that has long corners, medium and high speed corners, things like that. It, it's it's pretty pretty different in terms of track layout consideration. So the real test, the real benchmark of how this Mercedes will be doing um, will be in Silverstone. However, uh, benchmark for the Red Bulls, we kind of established that one already, huh? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, we've, there weren't tire issues to the, you know, to the point today where anyone's really, uh, you know, caught out or surprised by it. I think people have sort of, for the most part, figured out what it takes to, um, you know, how many laps they can get on the tires and kind of what the pace is. And um, I don't think anyone's going to be too complaining about the tires. I don't think Red Bull's going to complain with a dominant victory from Sebastian Vettel. Um, yeah. You know, not from, uh, uh, you know, from, I mean, from, from pole to, uh, to 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 finish. I mean, I, I don't know if it was every actual individual lap that he led, but it was essentially every lap. I mean, Just pit, about, yeah. There, I think during the pit first stint, there were a couple of laps that Lewis Hamilton took the lead because he had a longer first stint than 
uh, Sebastian Vettel. But, but essentially, essentially, yeah. yeah. And and ended up you know almost 15 seconds ahead of Alonso by the end of it. So um, I don't think Red Bull is going to be complaining too loudly about the current tires. But who knows? Maybe they are because it's Red Bull and they want to complain and change things and <laughs> mix things around. But it seems like uh, yeah. So so the 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 magic of Mercedes seems to have fallen off some. Uh, is certainly in their. Um, uh, you know, in qualifying pace. I mean, uh, we did have Hamilton second place this time in uh, uh, in qualifying, and uh, where where did Rosberg end up? He was fourth. Fourth yeah. behind, Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, oh, freaking dude, freaking left field. Bottas was incredible, and I have to say that it was very cool to see him do that. It was very very reminiscent of Nico Hulkenberg, his rookie season when he was in the Williams in Brazil mm-hmm. and ended up on was it pole? I give it. Yeah, it was yeah, pole. and. Just, just it was wet, drying conditions, and just goes to show you that the uh, talent recruiter for Williams does a bang up job because he finds some great guys. Potas clearly uh, was able to car control his way to a very good finish in not great conditions. Although I have to say, it was really disappointing to see him in the dry fall so far back so badly. I mean, he ended up finishing 14th, which. I must mention was still two places ahead of his teammate, but yeah, it's you know not not a great result considering his second row start. So it was a great attaboy for Williams. There's still a lot of love for Williams, and Williams is still felt like one of the traditionally powerhouse teams. But man, they are just not anywhere close here. Yeah, and it, you know, uh, just earlier in the week, actually, Botas had been saying, you know, I've actually made a lot of progress as a driver, but the car is masking that. You know, the, the car has had a lot, have a lot of issues. Um, it hasn't been showing off its progress, and I think this proves his point. You know, yeah. when the when it's rainy and when the conditions are a little bit weird and people aren't all sure of what's going on, it mixes things up. And to come out on top and you know, in a legitimate session um, with everyone on the same you know the same conditions to beat uh, you know Raikkonen and all these guys who are really good in the rain and Alonso and good cars and whatever to really come out and actually have a very strong qualifying performance is quite good. I mean, beat Nico Rosberg, you know, the previous two pole sitters. Um, so, you know, that's, that's gotta be good for his cause as a driver. Um, you know, I, I agree with, you know, Williams maybe, you know, isn't the team to, uh, you know, the team to watch out for, unfortunately, Yeah. but if this, you know, puts him on someone else's radar as the, you know, the top teams are thinking about what's going to happen two, three, four years out, uh, I think, you know, it may have been good for him in that regard to, uh, kind of get his name on people's radar. Um, and also Jean-Eric Verne. Well, no, I, I definitely want to talk about Verne, but I want to close this out because I have to mention this. Uh, Pastor Maldonado. So he ended up finishing 16th. He did not qualify third. He, he was 13th. He doesn't seem to be, oh, man, he just really, I don't know. Maybe he just has so much sponsorship money that he's got no th- nothing to worry about. But, gosh, uh, Petrov had a fair amount of sponsorship money, and it didn't really do too much for him. I don't know. Pastor isn't really showing very well this season. I wonder if he has any kind of future. Yeah, I mean, after last year uh, with his some of his bombastic performances and, yes. and questionable judgment and so on, there was a debate about well, is it is it better to you know have a driver who's got that talent, but and you know but just reel him in a little bit and get him under control? And we we're thinking, yeah, that's probably a better um, you know better situation to be in than to have someone who's just slow and not pushing the car. But something with the way the car handles now or the way his driving or his coaching or something isn't isn't lining up for them there. Yeah, I and I hate to be cynical, but I was a defender of Maldonado, but now it's like, well, they don't want him to run into things and that slows him way down. You know, it's like, oh, I can't hit anything? Well, God, I can't go through this quarter very quickly then. So I, I don't know what to say, it, but if he doesn't uh, kind of show 
couple flashes of brilliance, it's not going to be going well for him. And it's a shame because, you know, there's definitely this bigger dark shadow that is the Williams performance in total. But, you know, he already had a reputation going into the season. And if he wanted to keep his F1 career going, he really needs to uh, show the other teams what he's capable of to stay in the sport. And unfortunately, I think he might be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, STR. Yes. Jean-Eric Fern. Yes. Um, in qualifying, ended up seventh. You know, made it kept in, in, in all these screwy sessions, was able to, you know, advance from Q3, Q1 through Q2 into Q3 and then and then do reasonably well and uh, and held on to it. I mean, it wasn't, you know, that he qualified well in weird conditions and then fell way back. He actually moved up a place and finished sixth spot. So uh, very strong performance, his career best. And again, we're talking about dry conditions here. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, he was able to skirt ahead of people because of the weird conditions. No and safety then, cars, nothing. Yeah. So. And then, yeah, the reality of the car hurt him. No, he did. And it was just a nice, quiet resolve for him. You know, he didn't get a lot of publicity, but man, he held on really well. And we had a lot of guys going back and forth. I mean, you know, Felipe Massa was getting a lot of coverage because, oh, he's moving up and he's doing such a good job. Well, he finished eighth. Two places behind John Eric Well, from 16th, though, I mean, you know, bonus points for that with his crash and qualifying uh, made it a harder job for Massa. So, I mean, oh, but... that's right. You get bonus points for starting farther back. No, but for passing people, <laughs> you know, that's. But anyway, yeah, but yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, John Eric is looking for his spot at Red Bull next year, um, thinking, okay, Weber's probably out and he's got to prove himself over Daniel Ricciardo. And he certainly did this weekend with Daniel Ricciardo starting 11th and finishing 15th. Yeah, um, you so, go. you know, the top six spot. So, um, interestingly enough, I was just looking at the drivers' championship now, um, and there's you know he who he who shall not be named up at the very top, you know, <laughs> freaking Mister Finger, um, but <laughs> Jean Eric Verne is Mister Finger is uh, ahead of Checo Perez for one. Um, Sergio is 13th in the championship. Jean Eric Verne is 12th. Wow. Um, and then only a couple spots up from him is Jensen Button and the best McLaren Mercedes in 10th place in the championship. I Which, mean, you know, that's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, Sebastian Vettel has 132 points, and uh, and Jensen, for comparison, has 25, which is sort of uh, a sad a sad thing. Oh, is um, that from his race win? Oh, no, wait. Mm, mm. Nope. No. Um, it's the few little scraps he collects here and there. Um, and then I can't help but think Hulkenberg, who, of course, was in Force India last year and switched to Sauber, and there was some, oh, maybe that's going to be good, maybe that's not going to be good, whatever, and it's probably not good. Um, you know, the... Uh, well, I mean, I said it in a previous podcast. I'll say it again briefly here. I, the the key thing that Hulkenberg can look to with his change to Sauber is he's still outperforming his teammate. And he also, he was the guy that was sought after so that another team was trying to vie for his position. That, to me, those are two positives to take from that. Yeah, although, you know, having more than five points on the board would probably be good, um, would, would probably feel better. It would be helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll agree to that. Teresta's got 34, uh, Sutil's got 17, um, although you know, Nico Hulkenberg has five points total, um, and then everyone behind him in the championship, including his teammate, has zero, so he's the, the you know the worst of people that have scored points, I guess, is a weird way of <laughs> well, putting that, but yeah, um, yeah still uh, a lot of folks down at the bottom, uh, including both Williams drivers, who have zero points so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Jensen Button, though, because he's the guy that is the most frustrating for me to watch this year. Big Jensen Button fan, anyone that listens to the show on a regular basis, knows that. Not doing well this year, and I mean that on top of the performance on the McLaren. This is one of the highest-paid drivers in the championship. 
he um, he doesn't quite make Lewis Hamilton money or Fernando Alonso money, but he's close. And he really, this is where he could show how solid of a driver, how complete of a driver he is, if he could wrangle some more points out of a car that just isn't 100%. And he's not doing that. In fact, last two or three rounds, he's been behind his teammate. And that's... That's really frustrating for me. I mean, I believe he, they were 11th and 12th uh, at the finish line today. Perez ahead of Jensen Button. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it was, and, and just outside the points, breaking the um, their longest ever points-winning streak uh, uh, for McLaren. So yeah, that's that ended today, unfortunately. I guess unless there's any crazy post-race penalties that are applied and moves them up into the points. But yeah, uh, Jekyll Perez uh, just ahead. Um, Jensen Button, and of course, yeah, uh, separate from the absolute performance of the car compared to the rest of the grid, there is, of course, that always inter-team, uh, intra-team, you know, inter-teammate battle, and uh, yeah, Checo's been doing quite well. I mean, he's been had a lot more press. He's been having some in- incidences, incidents, and uh, and issues, yeah. but um, you know, you, you sort of would might like to think that okay, well, Jensen's probably just going to be overall, you know, out qualifying and so on, and it's just not really coming down that way. So, well, I'm sure if it were up to Kimi Raikkonen, Jensen Button jobs would be job would be more safe than Checo, but you know, it's actually not up to Kimi Raikkonen. So, you know, Kimi Raikkonen actually made a fair amount of publicity with his remarks against Sergio Perez and his driving style in Monaco. Raikkonen was a little upset that Sergio didn't get. Um, zapped with any penalties for his actions. The fact that it was deemed a racing incident wasn't uh, something he was thrilled about. He felt uh, pretty strongly about what Sergio did. And his lack of a brain, I think, or something. I forget exactly what the... Which, you know, I can empathize, but uh, the problem is that he's doing better than his teammate in a a difficult car. And that's what's frustrating to me, because Jensen is a proven world champion... He held his he held his ground against Lewis Hamilton, mm-hmm. and he should just be wailing on Sergio Perez, showing him just a whole other level of professionalism and speed. And the professionalism and the strategy should really be coming out in race results. I don't care if Sergio nips him on a couple spots in qualifying here or there, but Sir, uh, Jensen's strength is just making really good calls on strategy. And just being really smart about getting through race distance efficiently. Yeah, and it's just not happening those. this year. Yeah. And that's what's bothering me. Yeah. And, you know, today we had, uh, near the end of the race, Button come up behind behind Sergio. And I guess either deciding not to, or I don't think he was told not to, uh, not to try and pass him. I mean, uh, there was certainly the radio call to Checo was, we are racing Jensen. He's the guy behind us. Right. And that's how they finished. You know, Jensen did not, didn't didn't push, uh, force the issue. I mean, to, to both of their credit, I guess, you know, they didn't crash out. That would have been the worst thing <laughs> for uh, for the team. But they they actually deserve attaboys, don't they? I guess. But yeah, it's, uh, you'd like to think that, okay, the, the, you know, the senior driver, the world champion and so on would be able to uh, make something happen and. Uh, you know, cleanly execute a pass over another driver, but uh, yeah, it was not not the case, and uh, they both finished a lap down um, in in eleventh and twelfth, as we mentioned. So, yeah, not uh, not not another subpar performance for McLaren. Uh, there was a lot of hope. I think, oh yeah, McLaren's always done well at uh, at Montreal. A lot of that has been Lewis Hamilton, um, but even you know, but it was Jensen Button more recently. I yeah. mean, so it has yeah, absolutely they. It's a quick place for them, you know. They're they're good on leaning on that Mercedes motor and just turning it into something good. But okay, so the winner of the race, Vettel did a fantastic job. We can't deny that he just blew everyone away. But the fight for second actually proved to be quite interesting. 
And it went to the man that is currently also second in the championship. And a guy, I mean, since he's moved to Ferrari, Fernando Alonso has been competitive for that championship, but he hasn't been able to to complete it. He hasn't really been able to turn it into anything. And here he is in that situation again. And I found it uh, ironic and frustrating that he finishes second to Vettel. He's second in this championship to Vettel. He's he's always there. He's always putting himself in a good position, but he, he just, because of the reality of where all the teams are at, he just can't really turn it into something. Yeah, and he's now, what, 40-some points behind Vettel in the championship? So, I mean, you know, there's plenty of races to go. Certainly nothing is nothing is set yet. Certainly. And as he said, as Alonso has said, you know, Vettel's sort of, you know, run of good luck and good fortune, you know, Maybe it ought to turn around on him, but right. who knows, right? <laughs> right? I mean, does that actually mean anything? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, like if, if he were just a little bit closer, then he could say, okay, one or two bad weekends for, for Vettel and, uh, and and Alonso could be right there. And certainly, yeah, as we get down to the end of the championship, this is going to be, you know, it's going to matter a lot more uh, in terms of, you know, knowing what the outcomes are going to be. But um, as we always say, you know, the points now are worth just as much as the points you get later in the season and, uh, and from the ones in the beginning. So, um, yeah, but... Uh, You'd like to think uh, that you know Alonso and Ferrari would uh, would be able to do uh, a bit better against uh, against some of these things. I mean, it was just a bad weekend overall for them in Monaco, and uh, to come back in uh, in Canada. And uh, again, you know, he's he's there, but not you know 15 seconds behind. It wasn't a, it wasn't ever pushing Vettel for the win. It was right. you know, and Vettel probably could have been farther out if he needed to. Right. Um, so it's just uh, just sort of uh, you know hopefully not another. Uh, you know, string of of Vettel Red Bull success, which is just you know, I mean, he's he's, he's obviously very good. And the team is very good. But it's just not terribly he's, exciting. He's very to, uh, very good. I mean, there's no denying it. I I used to I used to give the car more credit, but you know, Mark Webber's no slouch, and he's not consistently in the front with that car. It's not like there's constant one twos always. It is much more of a Vettel show, and. To Mark Weber's credit, I'm sure a lot more of the development is designed around making Vettel's driving style happy as compared to Mark's. But still, I mean, you just can't deny that Vettel does do a supremely good job. And he has been in positions where he's not at the front, and he still works hard to move forward. It doesn't always work out. I wouldn't say that's his strong suit, but it's he's he's very very capable and deserves a lot of credit and i mean yeah three world championships in a row uh, doesn't just doesn't just randomly happen so i mean he's obviously although uh, if it did randomly happen that would be sweet if it was one of us it's uh, yeah <laughs> it's all it's all come together quite well for him in the last few years and uh, so it's just a little you know kind of boring i guess from the from a fan perspective right. of just oh it's Vettel winning again oh it's Vettel winning again i mean it's sort of the new schumacher dynasty or whatever and uh, it is it is kind of fun when you know things are mixed up a little bit and uh, that's, you know, we're kind of getting settling back to that. But it's uh, true. That, I mean, that is kind of what it is in a lot of ways. And it's remarkable that we can compare to that when that was less than 15 years ago. I mean, that was, you know, the year 2000 through 2004. And, yeah, we're not that far from matching that if things keep going as they are. Um, although I want to get back to the Canadian Grand Prix and uh, the final spot on the podium, Lewis Hamilton. And this does kind of get back to a little bit what we were talking about with Mercedes earlier. But just, I I have to say, I am properly impressed. We've gone, we're approaching mid-season here, like the middle point, uh, we are in the mid-season. And they're still looking pretty strong. In fact, they may be getting a little stronger. They seem to really suffer with race pace early on. And these last two tracks, 
It's a little hard to say. Is it the track being different or is it the car improving? And we'll find that out uh, at the next Grand Prix. But gosh, they've done really well. Yeah, they're only Mercedes is only uh, what f- eleven points behind. Um, uh, no, uh, nine points behind uh, Ferrari in the championship. No, eleven points. Yeah, mental math is hard. I'm trying to speak <laughs> at the same time. Um, so yeah, so I mean, at every Grand Prix they could go back and forth with depending, you know, if they have one strong driver, two strong drivers, and whatever happens between both Ferrari and Mercedes. So yeah, it's you know certainly the uh, that that battle and they're they're you know it's holding on quite well. I mean, I guess maybe those private tests really uh, really <laughs> it's oh, probably no. not that. Oh no. But yeah, I mean we've we've seen um, I mean we've seen I guess good things from just about all the top drivers at Silverstone in the past. I mean you know Mark Webber has done well there. I mean you know, I don't Very think there's. True. It's not like one driver knows the track much better than anyone else. It's just, uh, you know, it's going to come down to kind of who can manage the tires and the, and the whole thing. Right. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, Red Bull as a team has has been just very, very strong team-wise. But, yeah, the Mercedes uh, really does seem to be there. And I think that may, uh, may be the story um, as it's sort of evolving now. It's sort of, okay, well, Red Bull's out front in the constructors, but it's sort of the battle for the for third spot or for second spot there between Ferrari, Mercedes, and to a lesser extent, Lotus. Um, that, you know, not a, not a yeah, great weekend a for them one. here. I mean, but, mm. yeah, because, you know, Raikkonen didn't, he tried, but there just wasn't too much he can do. And uh, our boy Rogro, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh. Yeah, this was tough, tough qualifying. And there not, are yeah. plenty of weird sounds I can make with my mouth to describe Rogro. Yeah, the top one being. Uh. Well, he did move up quite a bit from twenty second spot because he had uh, he qualified nineteenth and then had a twenty or a ten <laughs> ten grid spot penalty, so he would have started twenty ninth if there were such a thing. <laughs> um, but he ended up thirteenth, which. Okay, that's moving up a lot of spaces, but that's passing the people that are a lot easier to pass um, in in what should be a much faster car. Um, but uh, still, no points on the board. Yeah, I don't get it, man, because he won the GP two championship twice, right? Or no, he definitely did it. He was it. He was very competitive in the GP two championship. Got into Formula One really early with uh, Toyota, right? And then was out and managed to get his way back into the team. Really hard work. Won the GP two championship again. All this kind of stuff. And then he gets in Formula 1, and he's struggling again in just the weirdest ways. And I don't know how to describe that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's sort of, you know, after his whole, you know, one-race suspension, after causing this giant crash at Spa, or, or right. causing, being involved, whatever. Right. <laughs> I know what you're that saying. Whole thing <laughs> um, then, you know, there's sort of this, well, okay, he's got to do this, some soul-searching, and, you know, he's clearly fast, but whatever. And then since then, it's sort of like, yeah, maybe it's a, you know, it's sort of a Maldonado thing. Once he's sort of turned down the aggression a little bit, the rest of it is sort of falling apart around it or, or whatever. Maybe. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it hasn't gone brilliantly for him. But, anyway, it seems like, yeah, it could be, um, hopefully, we hope, I think, either uh, that either Ferrari or Mercedes or both can continue to challenge Red Bull for the rest of the year. Um, but... It's you know it does the, the trajectory at this point does seem to be uh, a little bit like Red Bull kind of has has the you know has these things figured out right now you know, for the strategy calls the execution uh, and just the whole thing kind of uh, looking quite quite strong for them at this point. Wow. Well, I mean, huh. you and I, you and I have just gotten really good at talking. Like you and I, we can talk a lot, but probably want to hear from some of the fans. Yeah. Let's see what some of our fans have to say. So since this race is on Eastern Time, the same time zone on which we live, <laughs> we live on that time zone. Yes, this is. I live here, and this this is time. This this is the time zone in which I live. It is the best time zone ever. I didn't go that Woo! far. No, I think so. Okay, it's well, awesome. Fair enough. Uh, like I wake up 
and it's light outside, and when I go to bed, it's dark outside. Thank you, time zone. That pretty sweet. Does the time zone control the light and dark now? Is that how that works? I don't know. Do we live on it? Yes. <laughs> Clearly, we live on it. Anyway, uh, Montreal also lives on this time zone, and which, that's where the race was, which means this race was at a lovely 2 o'clock in the afternoon for us, and it was fun and easy for us to get together and watch it live and right. have our listeners take part in an ongoing race discussion, uh, mostly on Twitter, pretty much all on Twitter. There was very little happening on yeah, Facebook today. Yeah, so many kids that watch the race. It's very, Yeah, you know. so uh, this is all on, on Hash Fun With Cars. If, uh, if you haven't taken part in that. No, no. I do believe it's FW Cars. That's that's the one. Ah! <laughs> Score one for the good guys. Yes. Um, so we had, um, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 people. Could have been 20. I don't know. I didn't count. But all, all <laughs> kinds of fun people uh, oh, taking that... part in the conversation there. There you and... go. Trying to talk and count at the same time again. Just... Well, no, I know better than to try and count <laughs> as I'm going. But, um, but no, it was, it was a good conversation sort of through the whole, throughout the whole race, just kind of this, this back channel of kind of... Yeah, but there was one jerk on there that just wouldn't stop. Is Robin? Who is that? Robin I something. Some, I don't know. Some chick. I don't know. Yeah, just... Some... <laughs> hey, you brought it up. Uh, and you finished it. Oh boy, did you you just shut that one right down? But anyway, so so thank you for everyone taking part in that. Uh, Absolutely, it was, it's Good great fun. fun. If uh, if you're not familiar with that and uh, have any questions on kind of how to take part in that kind of a conversation, then uh, feel free to uh, you know tweet at us or uh, you know if you mention it on Facebook or in a comment or whatever, we can give some people some information. Uh, I personally recommend TweetDeck, uh, which is a free site. It's it's actually owned by Twitter now, but um, it gives you kind of a bunch of different columns and you can easily keep track of a hashtag in there. Um, it's not available really on the uh, iPhone or, or you know Android or, or iPad or anything. It's really on the desktop, but for me that's the way to keep track of it because otherwise. Um, you know, handling all the stuff on your phone with only one screen to look at gets gets very busy. And uh, having it on the laptop, I guess, seems like it's a lot easier to sort of keep keep in touch with what's going on in the race and follow the conversation on. Because sometimes we do these races live and there's sort of so much going on <laughs> online that you're like, wait, there's a race going? And then you have no idea what's happening. Yeah, I follow the race like an adult. Speaking of adults, I recommend Facebook because there's lots of people on Facebook and it's pretty awesome to carry a conversation there. As usual, we're not going to dig in all the different comments, but I will say... You know, we get a lot of great feedback. Uh, we got some really nice feedback about our last podcast. And uh, also, as racing is going, you know, our fans are pretty darn intelligent, and they find some really good insights. So if you're not on Facebook on FW Cars Facebook page, check it out. Because seriously, there's some good informative stuff here. And people have, at times, very strong opinions. They're very passionate about this. So I think that's worth uh, a quick bruise. Because that's a word. It, well, it should be. Um, so we've had uh, – we didn't do feedback last time because the last time we did a, a, a podcast is at the Detroit Grand Prix. We were at the Detroit Grand Prix. We were sitting on a turtle. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um, sitting on a concrete turtle, as uh, as the saying goes. And uh, and so we didn't <laughs> – <That's> the... <laughs> I'm trying to think of the saying. It's better if you don't. With concrete just, no, turtles. Just, just, let's just keep moving on. that's not a saying. No, nope, that's but... – nope. Uh, oh, so dear. we do have several emails, though, from both the Monaco and Detroit GP shows. Uh, so we got an email from Paul Perry, um, who emailed us before listening to the latest podcast, but uh, reading about some background and came across the 1955 Le Mans disaster. Yes. Um, which there's actually a show that's been floating around. My, my, uh, uh, my I have a wish list search in my TiVo for Le Mans, and every once in a while, the like it's like Deadliest Le Mans or something. I forget what it's called, but there's this, this show about kind of what happened. But yeah, this is where uh, uh, there was a collision. The car went into the stands, and like 80 people were killed. It was yeah. just a very, very bad accident. It's sort right. of the example of 
um, when things were like, well, how bad could it be if there's a crash and these are racers and they know what's going on? It's like, no, no, if you're not serious about safety, really terrible things can happen. And that's sort of the example that uh, that people can point to. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, Mercedes, it was devastating for them. They, they stopped racing for a while and uh, and it, it was, you know, certainly a big deal uh, back in the day. So if you're not, if that's not something you're aware of, um, it's a very sad story, but it's sort of, you know, maybe worth knowing about as uh as sort of the history of, of Le Mans and so on. So it's 1955, uh, so that was news to Paul and sort of said, hey, I'm surprised it's not a bigger deal, you know, with the magnitude of, uh, of what's, going, what's, what's going on. Um, and, uh, and then he had some, some thoughts on, on Monaco, which now, of course, is a couple races old. But, uh, you know, how, how Rosberg owned Hamilton on his favorite track. Very and, much so. Um, you know, he, he, uh, Paul says to go easy on Checo Perez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which one of us was happy to do yeah uh, with Massa says we've gone back 12 months and 2 days and you know unfortunately with Massa's crash and qualifying in Canada I guess we're still going backwards even more or just continuing to stay back or, or whatever but, and his uh, last two words were WTF Grosjean yeah yeah uh, and, and there you go. Um, we also got an email from Sean Smith, who has he says he just recently completed his second Fun With Cars marathon, and would like to say a huge thank you. Now, I'm hoping... Yeah, which, for, well, I mean, by the way, that's awesome. Well, I'm hoping I'm for his cool. sake, it means, like, maybe he did, like, a first batch of shows, and the second one is, like, a second batch of shows to get caught up. If you, Sean, have listened through all the shows twice, that... That's like that's gone from like dedicated fan territory into like serious mental problem territory. No, 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 no. Serious, awesome territory. Yes. Come on, don't be. Listen, we, you and I are like white noise. You probably just turn us on right before bed and just let it drift you to sleep. And then through osmosis, you learn all sorts of amazing things. I like up. I have a boy's name, for example. And there's a disaster at Le Mans in 1955. Yeah. You learn about that. Uh, he also went to a DTM race, and we'll send photos. So that'd be cool if, because uh, I've never, you know, haven't, I've never, we've never been to DTM. Um, there yes. is talk of a US DTM series, actually, um, which uh, which could be cool, and uh, you know, tied in with BMW. What's and, the, oh, uh, <laughs> what's the T? <laughs> touring. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's Deutschland Touring Motorsport. I'm assuming. Or Master Worker or something. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's Touring Masters. Anyway, he um, says, "Hope you have both recovered from your hospitalizations slash serious injuries," and uh, we pretty much have. Um, you know, I'm uh, I, I'm titanium reinforced, but can generally have a normal, pretty normal life these days. And yeah. uh, you know, you're, Jim's titanium reinforced. I just have titanium. There's there's a pretty significant difference there. Yeah, they're, they're both they're both ongoing. Uh, probably it's probably a little bit more at the forefront in my life than it is Jim's, but. Life is continuing, so that's the important thing, right. and that's what just we... as long as we get the uh, the definition of what, where when is a what is a passenger car versus heavy machinery, <laughs> and that would yeah, well, you'll stop there. Yes, life is good, and thank you very much for um, uh, for saying so. We were very happy about that. And then, of course, in the last show, we were asking what people think about IndyCar versus F1 and kind of who, who watches IndyCar and who, who keeps up on it. Um, we did have an email from John Matthew from Toronto. Yes. says, used to love Champ Cars, went to MIS 12 times, and have seen races in Pocono, New Hampshire. I mean, we live a lot closer to MIS, and I haven't been there 12 Pocono, times. Pocono, by the way, is in Eastern Penn, and it is, it's a pretty cool track as far as ovals concerned, because I think it's actually like five corners only. It's like a pentag- pentagon almost, so it's, it's almost a road course. It's all left turns, yeah. but <laughs> it's like with just straights and lefts. But fair, fair enough. But I'm saying, you know, it's not just your simple whoa, circle, circle, rung. It's you know, they've got to think, they got to, they got to slow down. There's different speeds at different courses. It's actually kind of cool. Right as always go. 
Um, he does watch every F1 race live, which is cool, you know, being in the same, you know, on arguably the best time zone, Eastern. Um, Woo! Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, you know, sometimes that's early mornings and occasionally, you know, with the Asian races, very early mornings and whatnot. Um, he says, I watch every F1 race live, even watch practice and qualifying. Um, I might think about watching an IndyCar, but I never get around to it. It's sad. Um, and so that's that's kind of, I think, how, how we feel about it, too. It's sort of like, yeah, IndyCar, yeah, I should, I should watch that. But when it really comes down to, like, you know, staying on top of it, I, mean, I, I did actually watch, uh, uh, you know, quite a bit of the Texas uh, IndyCar race last night. But it just, on the ovals, it just really didn't, yeah, it can't grab me. You know, it was, yeah, uh, uh, anyway, which is kind of the deal. And I think, in general, you and I gravitate a little bit more towards sports cars, excuse me, these days than IndyCar, just because once you're watching Formula One, IndyCar almost seems kind of like an also-ran thing these days. And I'm telling you, 550 horsepower, that doesn't help. I don't care what anybody else says about all the practical, logical reasons why it's actually not that bad. It's not a big enough number. And for me, it's, I mean, my feelings actually mirror John's quite a bit, and you're, you're saying similar things, Jim. Champ Car back in the day was pretty insane, pretty wicked, and there were some very cool things to watch. And, uh, you know, I think back fondly to the driving I saw and the drivers I saw. Um, so it's just a shame that it's turned into what it's turned into. It's still got a lot of great things about it. And you might hear us talk about Indy uh, on different podcasts here and there a little bit more. Because it is proper. But I have to say, I think F1 is our most interesting. And then Le Mans and sports car racing is probably number two. So that puts Indy in third place. Yeah, because there's this there's this feeling, uh, especially that you know for me anyway, with sports cars, where like what's cool about it is not the outright pace of the cars, but it's how the strategy works, how and the, the sort of um, you know how good the teams get at you know these sort of ninety second engine changes and just crazy stuff that you see about and the sort of this attitude of no matter what goes on on track, okay, the car gets super super damaged. If there's any possible way we can get it back around to the pits, we're gonna fix it and we're gonna get back out there just just because finishing the race is on its own such a huge achievement. Like it's interesting in a different set of ways than Formula One. Right. But IndyCar doesn't have that. IndyCar, you know, is open wheel, and the coolness of open wheel is just this is the fastest possible way. You know, single driver, small car, massive aerodynamics. What's the fastest way to get around? Plus, a track? the cars look cool, and that's becoming less and less the case actually in both versions of the sport now. Yeah, um, but so like IndyCar doesn't doesn't give us that excitement. I mean, I guess what we don't get, what we do get from IndyCar that we don't get from F1 is is ovals. But that's just not our thing, I guess. Yeah. It just doesn't doesn't grab us for for whatever reason. You know, the way the engineering is and stuff is just a whole different level. So like, sports cars are are just very cool in their direction. F1 is very cool in its direction and has all this cool stuff about it. And IndyCar just doesn't doesn't grab us. And they're they're trying, and some of the things they try are interesting. But some of it is, eh. you know, for example, and this is actually brought up because we had comments as well over the last couple of podcasts that mm-hmm. I want to bring up. Uh, this whole too wide, you know. Side by side restarts after a yellow flag. Ugh, that bothered me. Just thinking about, I mean, honestly, I think we would have had three, maybe four cautions in the Detroit Crumb Pre last weekend had they not had this two wide restart yellow stuff. Instead, they had six. And it just caused more incidents. And okay, that's all well and good. Oh, it's exciting. They crashed. Oh, my goodness. Oh, look at the crashes. Chaos. But that just leads to more yellows. <laughs> so it's like, oh, we're going fast. Uh, and we're slowing down again. And just Yeah, nah. I mean, it doesn't matter how many horsepower they have. If they are all if they can't pass each other and they're all going single file yes. behind a Camaro, then so that's not exciting for anyone. Maybe that's the defense. It's 550 is plenty for the 80 miles an hour they cruise around <laughs> the racetracks at. But anyway, yeah. we had a couple of comments to, to our most recent podcast. This one from 
question mark, question mark. Well, I think, so he's Japanese, but the Japanese letters didn't come through. Um, oh, on, on I thought our... those were Japanese letters. Question marks, no? I guess, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, this uh, gentleman had a pretty long... Or a uh, lady, we don't know. Or a lady. had a pretty long uh, explanation of IndyCar versus Formula One, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I highly recommend going to funwithcars.com and checking it out for yourself. He had a lot of good things to say, but he was basically saying... He likes both. F1 yeah, can't and say which one is better. They're simply different, and I like both. And I mean, massive, uh, massive props for watching them all live because I'm sure in Japan that all the U.S. races come on at screwball times. I mean, right. You know, so that right. just so the dedication to uh, uh, to get up early to watch those uh, and you know, sort of working around that. And so it's like Monday mornings probably and stuff watching IndyCar. So that's that's dedication from a fan. So that's good to see. No matter what series you're following, that's that's cool. But. Uh, Either way, it says, you know, he follows both, and it's great to listen to a podcast about IndyCar as well from you, so thanks, and keep up the good work. So we appreciate the comment, and thank you for uh, letting us know your thoughts. Also, on somewhat similar lines to what we've talked about, uh, Joseph uh, used to love Champ Car. In fact, was reminiscent of the old kart days, which he followed from the 80s to the Tony George IRL slash kart fiasco. Pretty clear where he stands there. He had a lot of interesting things to say, Um but he says, but in 1988, I started to watch F1, got hooked with the center Prost drama. One wonders if Kart had stayed on track as the fastest series in the world, clocking 250 miles an hour down the back straight with Penske Indy designed Mercedes power in 1994. Um, and then there's also some uh, possible uh, debate on whether the NASCAR guys played a part in the breakup of uh, Indy and Champ Car, if that might have cause problem and to the to the benefit of nascar which i mean certainly did turn out that way that nascar did you know has the biggest following by far i mean you know, much bigger than any car and absolutely and they and that very much accelerated uh when the champ car irl split occurred a quick history because of this i have to i have to bring this up uh the first problem happened when uh nascar started racing at the indy track that was in like 1992 or something like that where uh, the Brickyard 400, the Brickyard 400, exactly. They started racing in 1992. Uh, in 1994 was when things really started going bad. Where Tony George, uh, runner of the uh, Indy race, the Indy Motor Speedway at the time, who then became the owner of the Indy Racing League, really started getting upset with Cart. Cart pushed back. 1995 uh, was the last year together. 1996 and the IRL cars in 1996 were pretty pathetic. And they improved over time and blah, 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 and it's turned into what we have today. But um, it just it took it just ran a lot of people away, including myself. I mean, I watched CART pretty, pretty uh, consistently and pretty religiously until definitely through the Paul Tracy uh, championship, which was in 2003, and definitely watched Sebastian Bourdais tear it up, and that was through 2007. But uh, it just got less and less interest, interesting every year. And uh, it's tough because there is a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas there. And uh, cart in its bones were very interesting, but, oh, uh, meh, what are you going to do? There you have it. We also have one more comment, uh, which, ah, yes. which was actually from the Monaco show. Um, so two shows ago now from Paul B. in Australia, uh, who says, Hi, guys, question for you. Has Robin decided which overseas GP you will be going to for the graduation celebration? Looking forward to an update on a future podcast. <laughs> and which, here we are on a future podcast. Yes, and we are going to update. Um, first and foremost... I just I have made one decision that my wife is amazing. I mean, she's blown me away with awesome presents before. In fact, this uh, Formula One edition watch I'm wearing is thanks to her, and it was the last time I graduated from school. So 
I am tempted to get another degree just for the potential gift I would get at the end of it. Totally, but... totally worth it. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is we're still heavily leaning for heavily leaning towards the British Grand Prix because oh, that is such an epic race for so many reasons. But I have to say, Monza, oh, oh, that sounds so good because I love the Monza track just because it's. You know, we're talking about the uniqueness of Monaco and, to a certain extent, the uniqueness of Canada. Well, the uniqueness of Monza is impressive in the exact opposite direction. It is crazy fast there. It is just a wide-open freak show of awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> so, British so, Grand Prix is still the first choice, though, at this point. Okay. Uh, that's news to me, so that's good. That's good and that know. would be next year's, not in three weeks. Not, not, right. And back your bags. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. By the way, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make that work. So, cool. Um, thank you, everyone, for, for the comments, and certainly the ones we didn't have time to read as well um, for, uh, you know, the, the tweets and Facebook messages and all that. Yeah, um, we had a lot to get through. That was kind of awesome. Yeah, that was, that was great, man. That's, it's fun to have, uh, you know, a lot of other people's voices make their way on the podcast. Um, for, uh, to take part in this, uh, in, in the feedback for yourself, uh, just visit funwithcars.com. From there, you can comment on the shows directly, and there's links to our Facebook and Twitter feeds and whatnot. And you can also email feedback at funwithcars.com to get in touch with us. Yes. So I suppose it's time for me to rub it in on uh, Jim's grubby little predicting fingers again. But, uh, yeah, here we are. You know me and my grubby predicting fingers. (laughs) You know, it was another predictable result in terms of who did better than whom here. I'm not meaning to gloat, but I'm awesome. How many places did you move up in the predictions game this week? One. How many places did I move up? Like another 20. So really when you look at who performed better, you know, Delta-wise, I really, you know. So anyway, you, no, that, you got. that reminds me, though. Why aren't you in politics? Because that is brilliant spinning right there. Yeah, because it's, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was an event. Uh, maybe you could, um, listen, some might say that uh, Jim's predictions are a bit more adventurous than mine. I would say mine are just more accurate. That's true. Um, but uh, I predicted that uh, Vettel would do kind of okay, and Vettel did kind of okay. And uh, you, j- But you predicted Hamilton would be on pole, and you were incorrect. Well, you know, because Hamilton was close, but the rain didn't, he just wasn't quite up to it, you know, so it is what it is. One thing I will say that was interesting was how many people agreed with me. The list of people that scored one point this round was long. So there's a, lot of people. In, there's a lot of intelligent people out there. <laughs> <laughs> and the list of people that were correct in thinking Vettel Vettel was actually five, five names long. Right, right. So good, Shorter. Yeah, well done on, uh, for Ryan, Matt, Scott, Chris, Pradeep. Um, that, that's all five. Uh, I uh, <laughs> thought there was another one, but the, first, the next one is you. Um, that actually got zero points predicting Vettel Vettel. So good for them on the predictions. Very um, good for them. Although, you know, Vettel Vettel is not, you know, there's a lot of anyone but Vettel fans out there, and I think we're, we're sometimes in that camp <laughs> ourselves. Um, I only scored four points. I thought Rosberg was going to be on pole. Obviously, that was dumb. But uh, I thought Alonso was going <laughs> to win the race. So not far off in, in either case, but four points. But that put me in 61st spot. We have enough people predicting Just better than me to get only three, two, one, or zero points that... Fourth, uh, four points on the board puts me in 61st spot, which is cool to see that there's that many people taking part. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you go back, we have 107 people um, 
predicting, uh, you know, that predicted for Canada specifically. So we just we are great numbers. Um, people are still uh, keeping in the game and and staying on top of it, which is excellent. And which is excellent. And I have to say, it was it was a weekend of very low scoring points. So we have a lot of intelligent people out there. Uh, credit where credit's due, though, Jim. You are. Uh, getting closer and closer to surpassing Damien, who is now in 37th spot, just blindly predicting that whoever won the race last time is going to win again, and whoever's on pole last time is going to be on pole again. Yeah, I'm only three points behind Damien, so certainly if... Uh, so Damien, of course, for next weekend, or next race in, Bra- in Brazil... Wow, all these countries. <laughs> Britain, that's the one. England, Silverstone. <laughs> oh, they're all the same. Yeah. Brazil, the Monaco Britain. Grand Prix of Brazil, Silverstone. Um, so... Dam- Damien's going to say Vettel, Vettel. So as soon as Vettel crashes out, then I'm going to just you know, be Because <laughs> that's exactly than... what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, you're only two points behind the kilt. There's something there. There's 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 a proper battle. Behind the kilt right is really there. where you want to be, though. That's to be honest. <laughs> okay. That's an interesting direction. So moving forward, who do you think is going to do well in Britain since you are not a simple, blind, heuristic model? You are... A human being with intelligence and free will. Although also fairly blind, to be to be fair. Well, but we have, you know, technology. We do have technology for that. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, Valtteri Bottas is going to do very well and go for... Po- no. Um, well, it does rain there a lot. Yeah. Um, I... I I don't oh, know. Come on, I've, sir. I've been, I just got, I got burned on, uh, on Mercedes. I, I really am thinking... Um, I'm, I'm liking Hamilton for this, but uh, I mean the Vettel Vettel call is probably not going to be a bad one, even if it's not perfect. It's probably not going to be far from perfect, you know. Mm. Um, it's just I don't want to be so lame as to put Vettel to win, as you know, lame heads like you do, just to get. It's like it's all for the. It's, all about, it's like it's all about the points for you, and it's like really more about living your life for me. So yes, well, my lame head does like low points. More than living my life. It's certainly not going to be a McLaren. I think we, uh, I think we can agree on that. Yeah, McLaren is suffering. That's there's no two ways around that one. I don't think the uh, the Lotuses are going to do well. I mean, it's oh man, if um, mm, I'm going to go with Hamilton Vettel. Ooh, ooh. Hamilton for pole, Vettel for the win. Wow. Well, I have to give you some bad news because I know you hate this when this is the tr- when this is the case. However, you and I actually agree on who's going to be on pole position. I think that Nico had a great run to pole. He's very quick in a single lap run in that Mercedes. However, I think Hamilton Hamilton's uh, love and knowledge of Silverstone is going to help him carry through and be the faster of the two Mercedes teammates. And I think the Mercedes is going to be the quickest car. So we'll see if they're one, two. Not necessarily promising that, but I think Hamilton will also be on pole. And I think that Fernando Alonso is going to go on to win the race because he does know the British Grand Prix quite well himself. And I think he showed in Canada and really throughout that that Ferrari has got some stuff and if he uses that stuff correctly, he might be able to just turn it into something. Well, there you go. There you go. So you've gone Hamilton Alonso. I have gone Hamilton Alonso. Got it, which I think was my prediction for Canada, actually, as it, as oh, it happens. Well, you were one race early. 
Yeah, maybe. No, I was Rosberg Alonso. That's right. I would have been better if I were Hamilton Alonso. I would have gotten two points, and I would have been in 26th spot instead yeah. of 61st or whatever. So there you but have look it. Look at us. Look at us agreeing on something. That's on kind something. of amazing. Well, which means neither of us is going to be right, probably. <laughs> but hey, it's going to be bloody You think your pole. power of being incorrect is stronger than my power of being correct. Is that it? I, I don't even know at this point. But... Um, it's awesome to see so many fans taking part in that oh, and, uh, and, and being part of the predictions game. So um, by all means, uh, go there and, and predict early and predict often because if you go there today and uh, put a prediction in, you can always change it up until Friday practice starts. So especially when, when you've got these longer breaks like this, it's easy to forget. And uh, it's just really a shame if, uh, if, you, if, you have to, you know, if you miss a couple of these rounds. So go ahead and put in what you think is a reasonable prediction, and then you can always tweak it over the next couple of weeks until we get into the race weekend proper. Yeah, please do tweak it because that's one of the things that uh, Jim and I like to use as an excuse as much as anything else is that when we make our predictions on the previous podcast, that's it, and we stick with it. That's true. Yeah. So, so make us either, feel better. It's either brilliant or it's not. <laughs> and your case is usually brilliant. Uh, well, it's, it's just I'm in the zone. What can I say? Something like that. Um, anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll be back um, certainly in time for the British Grand Prix, if not sooner. And uh, feel free to keep in touch. Please do keep in touch with us in the meantime at funwithcars.com and Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Um, thank you very much for listening. I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner saying we cannot wait for the Grand Prix at the Brazilian Isles. It's going to be Argentine-fastic, and then, then we'll go to the thing with Europe, and then also races in Canada and Monaco, and oh, dear. Just, boy, that went wrong, Jim, huh? It's Singapore, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always a good one. I just, I can't, it's funny because I was, I was going to be super clever and make fun of you. And then me making fun of you just went wrong. And then you had to make fun of yourself. You had to bring it in to make fun of yourself. Wait, are we still recording? Yes. Oh, dear. Bye. <laughs>